Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. In 1956, Dr. Billy Graham, with the help of his father-in-law, the late L. Nelson Bell, began a new magazine called Christianity Today. It was intended to be, and says on our masthead, that we are a magazine, a journal of evangelical conviction. And from 1956 until today, uh, this periodical, this journal, has uh, received a wide acceptance within not only the evangelical sector of the Christian community, uh, but much more broadly. And today I have the honor of speaking with the editor of Christianity Today, Mark Galley. Welcome, Mark. Good to be with you. Glad to be here. Now, uh, you and I first met a number of years ago when you were the editor of Christian History right, Magazine, right? Yeah, and you've moved in several different uh, formations at CT, and now you're the editor of CT. Right. Talk a little bit about the mission of CT. I referred to its founding in 1956. Kind of, what are we trying to do at CT? Well, what we're trying to do is help Christian thought leaders. That is to say, these could be people that are actually leaders in their church, formal leaders. They could be uh, anything from a pastor to Sunday school teacher to elder to deacon, or the informal leader. The person who may may not have a leadership position, but when they stand up during the annual meeting to say something, everyone kind of turns and listens. <laughs> you know, people who are passionate about their faith, so they're investing themselves in a parachurch organization, maybe, or people who see their their jobs, their vocations as a ministry, and they they they're people who are anxious to do that well. And they want to understand the culture they live in, and they want to understand the world they live in, and the church they they work through. And, and maybe even serve, and the trends, the people, the events that are shaping uh, how we should do ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. So we try to publish journalism that will help them think about that more deeply so they can be more personally fully committed to Christ and committed to his work in the world. So some of the things we do have kind of theological, spiritual content, I would say, uh, articles uh, that come out of biblical wisdom for the people of God. But a lot of what we do is also covering news, what's happening in yes, the world. Exactly. So yeah. how do those two functions relate together? Well, the news is more of the here's what's, uh, you know, in a sense, we never quite say it this way, but, you know, we believe in God's providence. And in God's providence, this is what's happening in the world, and we have to as faithful Christians trying to do ministry in this world, have to kind of work with that, move with that. So it might be trends, it might be a new theological idea, it might be ha something happening in, the, in Washington, D.C. that will affect the life of the church. But, of course, uh, the spiritual and theological part is is much more, in a sense, personal and direct. This is how we might want to think about the faith or how it might shape our spiritual lives. But, of course, even those articles are driven, usually, that they begin, as you know, you write a lot of them, they have to begin with a news hook of some sort to suggest that the reason why we're talking about election or the reason we're talking about the incarnation is not because we're just, we just thought of that one morning, but oh, all of a sudden we see that based on this new event, this interview that this person had, this news item, the Incarnation makes a heck of a lot of sense right now. So we try to connect the, the news and the theology in that way. You know, Karl Barth famously said, uh, you read the Bible with a window looking out at the world and a skylight looking up. Okay. So bringing together uh, the kind of what's happening, the external, with, yeah. in a sense, the transcendent dimension that we have as believers in Christ based on the Scripture and the revelation of God. 
How did you become a journalist, Mark? Well, I was a pastor uh, for 10 years. I was a, I'm a graduate of Fuller Seminary, and I spent some years in Mexico City working at an English-speaking church, and then uh, six years in Sacramento. And during that time, I was looking for an outlet for some creative expression of sorts, and I started writing. And the, very, the third piece I ever submitted to any magazine anywhere got accepted, and it was accepted to Christianity Today. Now, of course, I thought, well, of course, I'm a talented young man. <laughs> Why wouldn't they do that? But then when uh, the next 12 or 15 pieces were all rejected by CT, Leadership, and a bunch of other journals, I realized I had a lot of work to do. But uh, apparently the Lord gave me this passion to actually work on that and uh, eventually got some advice from some friends and started getting published regularly in, in Leadership. Started doing short reviews, short articles, and I was looking for the day when the editor, this would be Marshall Shelley, would phone me and say, I'd like you to do the cover story for a coming issue. And he phones me one day. I'm thinking, this is it. This is my next step in my writing career. And he says, how'd you like a job? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't take the job at the time because it was really bad timing. But a few months later, when I saw one of the associate editors who was a friend at a conference, and I said, boy, I really, I regret I had to turn that down. He said, uh, well, the fact is the job's still open. Do you want to mm -hmm. look into it again? So I, he had me phone uh, Marshall that afternoon. And it was one of those conversations where when I was done, I knew I was going to Carol Stream to work at the company Christianity Today for Leadership. I hadn't talked to my wife, hadn't prayed about it, hadn't talked yeah, to friends, but yeah. it was one of those. So that's before you got with Christian History. You were with the Leadership initially. Yes, I was initially uh, with Leadership, which okay. is their journal for pastors. Now, what's the most challenging assignment you as a journalist worked on? What's been the most probing, difficult in a way for you? In terms of my, my own personal work, um, when, actually when I was at Christian History, some of the stuff I did there was really challenging. So, example, I had to do, a, I had to do the, the cover story on William Carey. You've written a biography mm -hmm. of Carey. Yeah. Well, you, you got the luxury of having 180 or 200 pages. <laughs> <laughs> I had like six magazine pages. That's tough, yeah. So trying to figure out what to, uh, what to include, what not to include, those sort of choices when you're thinking, okay, I've only got so much time and space to communicate to the reader the quality of this man's life. The ups and downs, you know, I don't want to be on, you always want to be honest. Yeah. You don't want to rake him through the mud, but you don't want to make him into a saint. Yeah. How do you do that in a short order? And anytime I have a long assignment like that, it's usually because it's a big, it's a big idea or a big person that needs to be covered. And those are, how to get those in that space is, is tough. And, and I will admit that, that story is when I look back on and go, well, that was a learning experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you did it because Kerry, I think, even though he's a name everybody knows, is a rather neglected figure in terms of his own life story and what he's really meant to us. So. Yeah, exactly. And he's absolutely a key player in the shift of Protestant thinking about yeah. world mission. Now, you're a journalist, but you're also a Christian. And those are not two words that just easily slide up <laughs> yeah, one, really. next to each other. So talk about the tension or the distinctive vocation, maybe. How, how would you talk about being a Christian journalist? Well, the image of a journalist, of course, is the hard-bitten, cigar-smoking, uh, overweight. I match one of those. <laughs> uh, and, and cynical and hard-bitten is the big idea. There's a reason for that stereotype. is because a lot of secular journalism is, is driving. It's driving to get at the truth, but it's get, it drives at the truth sometimes in a way that is not friendly or kind, of course, at all. And I think the way a Christian does journalism, we're really interested in the truth. We, of all people, have, the, have no reason to fear the truth because of uh, the knowledge that God knows the truth way before we do, the truth about ourselves, the truth about our churches, the truth about our leaders. 
and yet he has been gracious and forgiving in that and patient with us in that. Mm. We have no reason to fear the truth. The difference between, say, secular journalism and Christian journalism is we always try to speak the truth in love. So never, we never waver from the truth, but sometimes we'll try to set that truth in a context that will help us be a little more compassionate and understanding, or certainly not judgmental and mean-spirited. So yeah, journalism is about telling the truth, and, and of all people, Christians should be most interested in that. I wonder if you would comment on what, at least it seems to me and a number of other people, is kind of the decline in public discourse in our country. We see this all the time in the politics of the day, the polarization, the recrimination, on and on and on. Uh, and there are certainly Christian journalists working in the political side of things. I think of our friend Mike Garrison, for example, a mm-hmm. uh, Wheaton grad and a person who worked uh, with Chuck Colson early on and now has a very responsible, influential job in uh, the political field. But it's hard to do that, and it seems to me that uh, there isn't much willingness to reach out and engage people at a more substantive level. You easily get caricatured, stereotyped, and the discourse just goes down from there. Is that right? Is that your feeling? And if so, what can we do about it? It's not just a feeling. It's just a plain fact. You could see it in the last election how many people were even tired in the political sphere of that type of conversation, and yet our political leaders don't seem to have the will or the imagination to figure out another way to talk with one another. Unfortunately, we see that happening in the Christian world. A lot of barbs thrown, a lot of bombs thrown across the wall instead of opening the door in the wall and say, can we can we talk about this? One of the things we aspire to at CT is to be the uh, vehicle in which those type of conversations can take place. You know, we don't try to bring people together so they can tell us, tell each other how nice they are and how much they agree with one another. There are times we want people to come together and say, I really disagree about this really serious matter, but let's sit down and reason together and talk charitably with one another and uh, see if that conversation led by the Spirit can, can bring us to a new place. And if it doesn't, can we part amicably and say, okay, that maybe the Lord has called you to do this, the Lord has called me to do that, but let's, let's bless each other and, and go along. But that's... I think the way we do that, my feeling is that our culture and the church in general is going to get really tired of that. You're already seeing signs of it. And I think there's there has to be a few models. I think things that happen like at Beeson, uh, I'm going to be participating in a discussion with uh, a, a focus on the family uh, uh, event, which, which we surprise people, but that's exactly the purpose of the event, to bring together people who disagree so they can have an uh, yeah. intelligent discussion. I, I'm seeing signs here and there, of people wanting to do this. And that's been CT's long passion that this happened. You know, a number of times we've published kind of pro-con articles or maybe three or four different viewpoints on a given issue. One of the issues I wrote about several years ago for CT, and I think I've gotten as much response to it, both positive and negative as anything I've done, was on the question of women and women in ministry, and it was called Beyond the Gender Wars. I think you gave me that title. I never – you never accept my titles. I always (laughs) have problems with these titles. But anyway, it was an effort to say let's don't kill one another over this issue. Uh, There are important – That was one of the more memorable pieces we've done at CT for that very reason. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's a good mission. You know, Jim Packer, who works with us and been a longtime hero and friend of so many of us, uh, has described uh, his understanding of what CT is about is to provide a unitive voice for evangelicalism around the great tradition of the Christian faith and the great uh, affirmation of our, our commitment to Scripture. And I think that's a, that's pretty yeah. much what we try to do. And Dr. Packer is a good example in the sense that you can tell he has certain theological passions that are not shared by a lot of people. He's kind of a classic, reformed, Puritan type person, as a person and as a theologian. 
And yet he doesn't let that stand in the way. He's a, he's a man of his convictions, and when he writes and preaches, he talks from that point of view. But he is uh, extremely charitable, even to Wesleyans. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. And remember, Wesley said that Calvin came within a hair's breadth of <laughs> being right. So, there you go. Uh, there's a lot of uh, room in that hair's breadth. Exactly. Sometimes for yeah. For a lot of lo- lot of volumes. Yeah. If you had, if you could have a face-to-face interview with any living person, who would it be? I think most evangelicals, especially since I was converted indirectly by Billy Graham, it would be interesting to talk with Dr. Graham. I don't know that it would be as fruitful right now because he's uh, he is up in years. I would be interested in having a conversation with Barack Obama. I mean, I just think uh, this, uh, I think, I I believe he's a Christian. He's a liberal Christian. But I'd just like to pick his brain a little bit about how he sees his his job as president as a Christian. Those would be the first two to come to mind. You know, whoever the next pope is, that would be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to get the exclusive interview with that person for CT. When this airs, we may know who the next pope is. There you go. All right. So uh, well, this that, is an open request. <laughs> <laughs> whoever whoever has, holiness will be, Mark Galley would like an interview yes, with you. Yes, <laughs> if any of you have contacts. Say a little bit about kind of the future for CT. We have some new initiatives going on there. That we live in a changing time and climate for all of journalism and all of print especially. Uh, yeah. We've got the Internet now. Talk about some of these changes and where we are, you are, as the editor of CT and all this. Yeah, we are in a period of tremendous flux right now because the model we have been using uh, is frankly broken. It is broken financially. Like most journals in America, we're losing money. But that's just a sign of something else. I mean, money is not the be-all and end-all of anybody's uh, ministry. But as you know, we can't continue the ministry without balancing the books. It does suggest that the way we're doing our mission may not be the most appropriate for the 21st century. So that means a shifting... Away from print, I don't think print will ever go away completely any more than photography replaced fine art or uh, movies replaced, uh, I mean, TV replaced movies. There will be a place for print, but we have to expand it to include, obviously, the web, iPad apps, uh, especially mobile. 40% of our readers, when they read online now, are reading through their phone. So I've told editors, when we think about producing something an art, we got to think they're going to be reading it on a phone mm-hmm. and not sitting back in their chair at home with a cup of coffee in the evening. That makes a difference in how we conceive of stuff and how we do stuff. Uh, so we are experimenting with, we will be experimenting with various iPad app versions, experimenting with, from a business point of view, you know, uh, figuring out how do we get people to pay for the quality journalism we produce. Every magazine is trying to do that because quality journalism does cost money to produce and someone's got to pay for it. And uh, the reader has to help with us with that. So th- those are some of the general changes. In terms of just focus, I think we're trying to figure out who are the audiences we've lost through the years. So, for example, I'll talk to a typical 20, 30-something, and I'll say I'm the editor of CT. And they'll say, oh, yeah, that was my dad's magazine. <laughs> yeah. And we're trying to – we have to figure out, no, <laughs> this is your magazine. What do we need to do to convince you that this is your magazine? So editorially, that's our challenge. I'm speaking with Mark Galley. He is the editor of Christianity Today. And, Mark, you're also a writer. You've written, I don't know how many books now, but a bunch. Too many. And uh, all good stuff. You're a good writer. And Thank you. And you, you tend to write about things that at least pique my interest. Let me ask you about one of your books, which was really a kind of response to a book by Rob Bell. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of play uh, in the press, I think both secular press and religious press. Talk about that book. Rob's book was called Love Wins, Love Wins and yeah. yours was called God Wins. God Wins, yeah. 
the publication of Rob's book created a tremendous furor in our movement. And uh, when I wrote a 3,000-word review online, it just went viral because mm -hmm. people were just anxious for getting some sort of coherent, middle-of-the-road, orthodox kind of response to him. I got to talking with the t publishers of Tyndale's, and they wanted a full book response, and I thought that would be a, an appropriate teaching moment. Not because I wanted to rake uh, Rob over the coals, because the fact of the matter is Rob and I, we would probably agree on 90% or 95%. It's that, it's that thin hair sometimes that makes mm -hmm. the difference. And I wanted to set the gospel in a what I thought was a more theocentric, more God-centered frame. Whereas uh, Rob's theology is very much centered and begins with a, with a human condition and, and pretty much stays there. And therefore, uh, he really is interesting to talk about love, the experience of love, the feeling of love, winning. And I thought there is something really true about that. But there is something even above that and beyond that that, we, that, that should be our focus. And it's the fact that God wins. For example, his vision of, uh, of heaven is pretty interesting. It's true as, as, as far as it goes. When he pictures heaven in the book, it's about the things we do with one another and the things we do on the earth in order to help it uh, prosper. And there's a little mention that God is present in that, by the way. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think in the biblical picture, the really amazing thing about heaven is that we are face to face with our creator again. And these other things are true as well. So it's an emphasis on the syllable, but it's an emphasis that makes all the difference, it seems to me. And that's what I was trying to drive home in that book. Oh, that was an important book. And uh, say a little bit about some of your other writings where our listeners are people who are readers. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. Uh, what have you written that they might be interested in? Well, anyone who is tempted by things Anglican, like some of us are, uh, I wrote a book called Beyond Bells and Smells, which is basically an introduction to the liturgy from the perspective of if we participate in this thing called the liturgy, as it's classically handed down to us, what might that do to our souls? How's that going to shape us? Not an introduction, what is what is the Sanctus and where does it come from? But if we pray the Sanctus and we do these other things, what that's gonna, what is that going to do to us? So that, that book has proven helpful for a lot of people like that. It was a trilogy I worked on. It began with the book uh, Jesus, Mean and Wild. Uh, the second book was A Great and Terrible Love, and the third was Chaos and Grace, uh, Discovering the, uh, the Power of the Holy Spirit. But you Those can are great titles, by the way. Yeah, so you can see by the titles that I am fascinated by the fact that spiritual life isn't from trouble to peace. Uh, it, is, it may be in the initial sense, especially for someone whose life is, complete, is in complete chaos, but as anyone who's lived the Christian life for a long time or read the Bible yeah. <laughs> sees that it go, it may go from trouble to peace to trouble yeah. again. Yeah. And that the trouble is not necessarily a work of the enemy or just bad luck. It may be in the providence of God mm. that this is something that he's, he's allowing to happen in your life or actually bringing to your life. I mean, think about the day of Pentecost. Mm. That completely disrupted everyone's understanding of who God was, how he acted, and what he was about. It, it was deeply troubling to people. So troubling, some people said, this is no, this event looks like a drunken party, not yeah. like a religious festival. So I try to understand those moments when Jesus is acting less than nice, when the Holy Spirit's doing something to upset things, where is the love of God in that? Where's the grace of God in that? Yeah. And that's been the theme of pretty much all those books. If you've read, I hate to say this, but if you've read three chapters of any book, you've probably got my big idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all worth reading, and I would encourage our listeners to become readers of Mark Galley's books. Mark, we're almost out of time, but you know, I often get questions, and you probably do far more than I, about 
younger Christians who want to be writers, who want to be journalists, who want to be you, Mark Galley, what would you say to somebody like that who really kind of feels the nudging of the Spirit, they've got a little giftedness in writing? How do they get started? What do they do? Any any counsel, any advice? The first thing is to remember that uh, writing is like any uh, practice craft, woodworking, or learning to shoot a basketball or play a game of golf. I mean, there are some people that are extraordinarily talented, and they're going to end up winning the Nobel Prize or the Pulitzer, and that's fine. God bless them. But the rest of us, it's a, it, we need to realize it's a craft to be learned, and that means there's a lot of steady, regular work involved. Uh, there is a learning process, and that if you're a person of just reasonable intelligence, but you have a passion to learn to be a good writer, you can become a good writer. But it's a matter of writing daily in some sort of form, journalism or, I mean, uh, uh, through a journal or finding an outlet on a blog, the practice of actually getting your thoughts that are amorphous in your head and putting words and structure to them, that practice just needs to happen almost daily for you to improve in that craft. And then to uh, just keep looking for outlets that you would like to publish in and get a hold of that, you know, write that editor. I mean, most writers think, oh, why would an editor ever want to talk to me? Well, here's the deal. From the editorial side, we always feel like there are not enough good writers out there for us yeah. to make use of. Yeah. So despite what it looks like, we are on the alert for new talent that's coming along and for people you know, to present stuff to us that would – wow. We, just, we find that one of the greatest joys is to come across a new writer. If you've never read Christianity Today, I would encourage you first to look at the website. And there you can find all kinds of information about how to subscribe, uh, become a follower of the blogs and so forth on CT. It's still, I think, as Carl Henry said to me before he died, the best thing evangelicals have going in the field of Christian journalism and outreach. And it's been a pleasure today to welcome Mark Galley, the editor of Christianity Today, to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you, Mark, for this wonderful conversation. Thank you. It was delightful. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.